Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Daniel Strain, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee Anderson. Hello. And Thomas Schenk. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about dealing with anxiety, worry, and fear. And uh, I, we, we were talking just now about how this is, uh, I think, a very relevant topic. Uh, and so it's, it's something that maybe can be an inspiration for a lot of people as to why they might seek out contemplative practices. Um, before we get started, I wanted to make a little bit of an announcement. We have had a Twitter page for a long time, but um, we've got a lot of different social media pages, but we're most active on Facebook. We have been most active on Facebook. And recently we've uh, begun a Reddit page. And uh, so we plan to have a lot of active conversations on Reddit. And even though we've had Twitter for a while, we haven't been very active on there due to limited uh, volunteer time to do that. But I wanted to let you all know that our Twitter page is now going to be a lot more active than it has been in the past. We're going to be putting out not only announcements of, of things like this podcast and uh, articles and things, but also uh, various commentary and little quick types of uh, input and sharing that you wouldn't get normally from uh, just the newsletter or just the uh, blog and what have you. So if you are on Twitter, um, feel free to follow us there. You can go to our website at snsociety.org and uh, it'll be in the upper right-hand corner, a link to it. Or you can go to twitter.com slash spiritual N-A-T-S-O-C. So, uh, our topic today, dealing with anxiety, worry, and fear. Lee, one of the things you said just before we got started was a really great point about how uh, anxiety or anxiety might be more common for some people than fear, uh, especially maybe younger people. But I was thinking that uh, as people get older, maybe fear starts to be something that is addressed because people have children and then they become fearful that something might happen to their children because that's a, that's a really big, you know, attachment kind of thing. And then later in life, people start to have worries about uh, death. And then of course there's money issues and all kinds of things. So uh, maybe one of the things we, we could talk about is how these things uh, come into play at different stages of life. Yeah, when I was thinking about the topic itself, um, I was remembering when you're, you know, late teens, early 20s, when you're getting through college, of course, you have a lot of anxiety associated with making the grade and living up to expectations. Then you get out in the world on your own, and you're kind of most of the time you know what's expected of you, but you don't know how to get there. So there's a lot of anxiety associated with that. And, and I remember during those times at that age thinking, I'll be so glad when I get older and I, you know, get past all this anxiety stuff and everything. And I think what I've come to discover is that maybe there's not less anxiety, but the way that I deal with it is different as I've gotten older or so. So if I could go back to my, you know, 20 year old self uh, and kind of give some advice about the anxiety, being anxious, you know, and, and worrying about things. And anxiety to me um, can even be associated with kind of happy events. It doesn't have to be something that, you know, you're worried about, but even anticipation sometimes kind of sets up uh, anxiety in people too. And everyone hears that, you know, it's an emotion. It's something uh, invisible. It's not physical, but the symptoms that it manifests 
are physical themselves. And I really have come to discover, at least for me, that meditation, you know, is basically the best way to deal with it. And it's, I don't think it's ever going to go away for anyone, but um, with a lot of the thought processes um, having to do with meditation, you know, I've learned how to at least handle it. Now, I know some people, and I even have this problem too, where I wake up in the middle of the night, like waking up from a dream and anxiety hits me. And since, you know, I have a, a watch now that measures my heart rate anytime I want to look at it, um, you know, I see the physical symptoms there of that anxiety and, and still you do have to keep in mind that your mind itself is what's directing that, even though it is a physical symptom. So your mind is, you know, the way to alleviate it. So again, meditation, you know, is uh, what I've seen is uh, one of the best ways for getting past it. Thomas, any uh, opening thoughts on your end on this topic? Well, the first thing, um, I think when we talk about fear and anxiety that we maybe I'm not sure that there's not some definitions that we need. I, I think of anxiety as, um, you know, fear is very specific. You can identify, I'm a, this is causing me fear. But I think there's a kind of anxiety that is much more onspecific. It's like I... I had a period in my life when I was very stressed on a job and I started waking up in the middle of the night feeling this pain in my heart. And at first I didn't, I thought I was, had a, a physical problem and it was only because my wife had had quite a bit of experience with anxiety and panic attacks that I was able to recognize that this wasn't, that this was anxiety and not, you know, possibly some kind of a, a heart condition. And, um, you know, and it, got me to, to change jobs because I said to myself, you know, any job that makes you feel <laughs> like you're having a, you know, wake up in the middle of the night feeling like you're dying is not a job worth having. So um, there's a kind of, you know, there's that, that kind of, I'd call it like clinical anxiety, which is, uh, uh, you know, I think you can address that with meditative techniques, but I think it can be strong enough for some people that they really need you know, clinical help. Uh, so, and I think that's a distinction that people have to figure out whether they can deal with anxiety on their own or whether they really need, uh, you know, I, I think it's really unfortunate how many people are on Xanax and all kinds of antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. I think a lot of people could learn how to function without those, but there definitely is a place, you know, people who just have a have this at a level where they need professional help. So I, I think that's a little distinction that we, we need to make. Um, and it's kind of, there, it's kind of unfortunate there aren't words that, you know, we could use two different levels of anxiety, anxiety that we really can deal with and anxiety that's, um, that is, as I say, clinical, maybe we should just call it clinical anxiety and, um, yeah. You know, the uh, y'all's opening comments here have already illustrated to me as I'm, I'm making notes of all these branches in the conversation and ways that we could go with this. And this is really a vast, vast topic because uh, there's so many things about it. You could almost just have a podcast just about this. But uh, I think, uh, first of all, that's a, a great point about the, the issue of medications what I've noticed is that whenever you bring up this, the, these kinds of concerns to someone who is on a particular type of medication for these things, um, there's a defensiveness and it's not necessarily their fault. It's often the fault of the communicator in, in maybe sounding, you know, unsympathetic or sounding ignorant of their condition or sounding like they're, uh, too judgmental or something like that. But um, surely, yes, there is an important place for the medications in the right ways and right times. But what I think is happening is that a lot of people are 
missing an opportunity to really uh, experience the immense power of these philosophical and these uh, spiritual practices and these um, kinds of contemplative practices. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't really understand just how powerful they can be. And studies have shown that they can be as powerful. And um, so I would just invite people to give them a, a try, you know, not to forego any medication they're supposed to take or anything like that. We obviously aren't doctors. We can't, you know, uh, make those kinds of judgments for people. But uh, certainly it doesn't hurt to try these things out, see, see how they can work for you. Um, and I, I want to later, I want to get into some of these specifics. Uh, Lee, you mentioned meditation. I have some real specific things I'd like to mention about just how and why meditation works. And I think people have misunderstandings about that too. Um, definitions, fear, anxiety, worry. I'm a little fuzzy on all that as well. And I've noticed that there's different you know, kinds of anxiety, obviously, um, one of the types of anxiety I hear a lot from in young people is talking about social anxiety. Um, and I wonder, and I didn't used to hear that much about social anxiety. You know, I, you know, in the old days, we just call it, you know, some people are shy, <laughs> you know, but there's a big difference between that and social anxiety. There's a lot of particulars about that. And so I'm wondering if maybe, you know, our internet world, people interacting online and through texting. And uh, there's so many uh, younger people now, especially who will not answer the phone. They, they will only reply with texting. And um, sometimes it's a matter of convenience, but in other cases, it's just this anxiety about direct real time face-to-face -face communication. Uh, so there's a lot of social issues there about and technological issues that might be affecting people getting used to these kinds of things. Uh, so really we could go a lot of different directions with this, but maybe we could just talk about how some of these practices have, have helped us. I'll, I'll, um, I'll jump in on that one because I, I'll, I'll, uh, years ago, I, used to think I had a fear of flying and I'd get on airplanes and I'd just feel very, very uncomfortable, very tense. And in a few cases I had the point where I, I had to ask the attendants if I could get off the plane. I was feeling so completely panicked by being on the airplane and, and I had to fly a lot for my job. So this was quite, <laughs> was quite inconvenient. But one day I realized that I, that what I was feeling wasn't a fear of flying. It was claustrophobia. And so I was getting on the plane and, and this feeling that I couldn't get off the plane caused me claustrophobia. And once I understood that, I was able to then, as I would get ready for flying, I could prepare myself for, um, for that feeling. I could talk to myself. I could relax my body, get my breath, and get my mind in gear and say, you know, I'm going to feel this and it's going to happen and just you know just you know just go with it it'll it'll end at a certain point in time and i'll be comfortable flying and and it worked and i i really got to the point where i could enjoy flying um and it, i mean the two points there i think are is that one is identifying what you're actually feeling is i think very very important that um you know, to be able to put a name on it or to, you know, just recommend, and this is, I think, true of any feeling, is the ability to actually, you know, pay enough attention to it to recognize what it's really telling us. And the second thing was, is that I did have, you know, I was able to tap into some techniques. I've um, studied yoga for 30, 40 years now, and I have, you know, I was able to get my body relaxed, get my breathing, but also meditative techniques of really really being focused on the fact of, you know, not trying to ignore the fear, not trying to get away from it, but just focusing on the feeling itself, letting the feeling happen and, you know, just giving all of my attention to that. And it's uh, the funny thing was, is that, you know, doing that causes eventually it just, you know, is kind of evaporates just by 
the force of attention. So I think, you know, those are the two, you know, the two points I would really emphasize with fear situations is uh, particularly fear situations that are somewhat irrational. I mean, there also are, obviously this doesn't apply if you've got a, you know, a, a really immediate situation where somebody is threatening you with a crowbar or something, but um, particularly, but so much of our fear these days and anxiety is irrational. It's not specific, very tangible, uh, real situations. It's these kind of vaguer things that, uh, that really cause us a lot of anxiety. So that, those are the two points that I'd make about um, ways of dealing with, with that type of fear. Yeah, you know, um, know thyself, that's a big part of a lot of these contemplative practices, getting to understand ourselves and understand what's really going on. You've made two points now that have to do with not of thinking it was one thing and really subconsciously something else was going on. Uh, and I think that the, the kind of mindfulness techniques that we, we talk about in the society um, are very much focused on watching and being attentive to what is going on in our own minds as it arises and being aware of that and being more and having more understanding about our inner workings. Um, and then you also made a really great point that I actually had here on my notes too, was uh, about how uh, these, um, let's see, understanding yourself and about how, Oh boy, I'm sorry. I lost the uh, train of thought now. <laughs> I need more focus. Oh, the uh, about how knowing about it isn't necessarily because it's it's uh, not a rational fear. And what I was going to say about that is that um, a lot of people find themselves in that situation where they know they absolutely know that it's uh, not productive to worry about X, whatever it is. And even though their rational minds completely understands all of the, the points that you could tell them why they shouldn't be afraid or why, you know, it's not productive or why it's not helpful or what they can do. None of that intellectual stuff actually changes their feelings. And so there's this wall where they feel like you can tell me all you want, but I've still got this problem. And I think that wall is what gives people the impression that, they have to necessarily then go to something chemical. Um, but that wall can be broken down. It is possible to take the intellectual knowledge and put into place certain practices whereby that intellectual knowledge pierces through the wall and starts to actually have a formative effect on our deeper uh, instinctive level almost uh, responses. And when people learn how to start uh, per, start putting certain practices in their, their life that change them on that intuitive level, that's when they really start to see the power of these things uh, to where you're no longer having to, after the fact, think about it intellectually and then tell yourself this and that, but that your actual natural immediate responses start to shift over time and you find that you're you're becoming a a, a new type of person a, a different per, a different character a different uh your personality and your 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 uh the way you respond to the world is starting to just shift and then it becomes easier because you're not having to force yourself so um that's what I think a lot of people haven't seen yet about contemplative practices. You know, when you bring up uh, the, the wall, which is what I think a lot of people associate with um, fear and anxiety. And I know I always did. And, and you think of a wall as being something physical. And even in our podcast, we throw out a lot of different things. And when you, as you go through life and learn more, you can learn the same things over and over sometimes, but then suddenly one time you'll hear something and it will get to you. And it really was probably less than a month ago 
that I heard something about fear and anxiety that finally got through to me, especially about that wall. And it was that anxiety, rather than being that wall that you can't get through, is really just a reflection of what's going on in your mind. And, and your mind is building up that reflection. But just like a reflection that's in water, you identify it and then you can dissipate it like that. And, and it was one of the first times that it kind of got through to me, oh, that's not even a physical wall. That, that's just an imaginary wall that you can just walk right through. You, you, know, you just, uh, like Thomas said, identify what it is. And once you've identified it, it's so much easier to deal with. Something else you mentioned earlier, Lee, about uh, wake, waking up and uh, having anxiety as you wake up. I've noticed that I, when I am in a state of, uh, what's it called, hypnagogic or whatever, when you're half awake and half asleep, Yeah. I've noticed that I'm, as I'm in that state, as I'm coming out of a dream or coming out of sleep, that there's something a lot more primal about my brain. It's a... Uh, I'm much more emotional and it's almost like there's a certain portion of it. Certain modules are like turned off or something. And uh, I think that can tell us a lot about ourselves right at that state. And sometimes I guess a lot of these practices uh, can involve rituals and things where you purposely put yourself into kind of a, a hypnagogic state or something similar to that. And you start from that, you know, vision quests and things like that where you can, kind of see what comes up when, when your rational mind isn't trying to control everything. So that's just another example. Uh, you know, we mentioned meditation, but there's all, the, all these other interesting uh, uh, types of experiences. And there's even some studies now, they've been greatly hindered by uh, the laws, of course, but uh, there's some studies about how different kinds of psychotropic experiences can help people deal with PTSD and uh, anxiety and stress and things like that. Well, I even, I, I would wake up at night and like I said, I could um, measure my heartbeat. And so I could see that my uh, heart rate was, was really up when I woke up. In fact, I would even, you know, get warnings. So I asked, I went to my doctor and I was talking with her about it. And, and it was one of those things where I just thought it was interesting. And I said, you know, can having a dream really raise your heart rate or am I having a bad dream because my, you know, heart rate is going up? And she said, no, having bad dreams can cause your heart rate to go up. Well, that was another one of those things that once I identified that, you know, it, it doesn't happen that often, but when it does happen now, I just sit up and think, okay, I had a bad dream. I just need to sit here, breathe, you know, calm down and everything and it will pass and it's gotten a lot better. You were just running from dinosaurs or something. Fight or flight uh, yeah. reflex there, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, go ahead, Thomas. Well, I just uh, this will take things in a little different direction here, but um, I was I retired about uh, six seven months ago, and um, I've had fairly stressful jobs for the last uh, many many years, and. I would very often wake up with, you know, stress and, and I'd have, you know, wake up in the middle of the night with you know, all this stuff going through my mind about work and everything. And I, I really realized just how, I mean, the, the, the fact is, is that the modern world is not a very healthy place. We were, you know, evolutionarily, we were not designed for a world with this much stimulation and this much um, stress. And, and so I, it's just amazing how much calmer, I, I I never wake up uh, now in the middle of the night feeling anxiety or stress. And, you know, it's just I don't it work cause so much of that kind of thing. And I think this is true for an awful lot of people is that it's just, uh, you know, the workplace is not that healthy of a, a place to be. And so I think we really have to do a lot to protect ourselves as much, you know, from the kind of world we live in, uh, you know, a world that I we're just commuting from work to home can be filled with stresses and uh, really. So it's, 
that's a little different thing, but I think the whole thing about trying to get some control of our own, um, get some, you know, these kind of taking care of these things and not using alcohol or drugs to do it. And particularly, you know, I mean, I, there's billboards up and I go by them and say, you know, you know, you've had a bad day. And then the, the, the idea is, okay, you've had a bad day. The way to deal with it is sit down and get drunk. Well, that's a pretty unhealthy way of dealing with, because mm-hmm. it doesn't solve anything. It, it makes you feel better for a little while, but then you're, you're back to square one. So I think these, um, there are internal techniques that really can help a lot. Um, it would be, you know, and, but, and the other side is also making choices about, uh, you know, the work you're going to do and, and trying to plan a work, a career that, that, you know, is, is as healthy as you, as you can make it. But um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we really do have to protect ourselves uh, from, from the, the nature of the society we live in these days. So that's just another, another direction here. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's definitely, I've got a friend who uh, has always had a lot of uh, stress and anger from his workplace. And I remember when I first uh, went from college to my first job and my first real, you know, career type job. And I was at a really big company and um, it was a real culture shock because I was, I naively thought that, uh, the way things happened in corporate America were a lot more logical than they really are. (laughs) You know, I thought I could go into a situation and there would be a problem and I could say, Hey, there's this problem and I could address it and everybody go, Oh yeah, that's a good solution. And and everything's improved. And then those silly things don't happen anymore. And um, I was disillusioned of that. uh, And I came to this point where I, just as a self-defense mechanism, had to kind of be a little uh, nihilistic about it, or at least a little hands-off about it. I had to say, well, you know, corporate America has certain things that they're, you, you get in there and there's certain, maybe it's any human institution really, uh, that once it gets so big and so complex that there's all these competing personal interests and uh, that's when I started to learn things about, you know, maybe listen to people more, maybe be more attentive to people's emotions. I used to be a very, because I came from a background of very uh, much paying attention to logic and philosophy and rationality and all this stuff. So I would be kind of dismissive of concerns about people's feelings and things like that when I was young. And, uh, you know, like, oh, that will get over your feelings. This is what's correct, you know, and uh, I wouldn't say that, of course, but, you know, that was kind of my attitude. And so then, you know, just learning how to navigate things like that really helped a lot. But I I tell people now, uh, or like my wife, for example, would say something about something that got held up at work because somebody did something really bad and, and then the, the project is is messed up and I would say, Oh, that's really unfortunate for the shareholders. <laughs> like you don't own that company. That's somebody else's company. You know, you're still getting your paycheck. So you got to kind of keep, you know, cause it's real easy to fall into these roles where you just play this role. You're supposed to be this person. You've taken on this little set of agenda items and it's almost like a role playing game. You've just, decided to become this role-playing set of, uh, you know, goals and agendas and everything. And you can get very lost in that, very caught up in that. And so a big part of spiritual practices very often is about having that big picture view, getting out of that little picture and sticking your head up and seeing what is really important and what's not important and what are my priorities and, you know, that sort of thing. I think that helps a lot with the work situations. I think another technique too, um, you can have a job that you actually like that can cause stress. You can have a job that you don't like that can cause stress. You can, especially if you're, you, if you are your own boss, causes a lot of stress too. But in, in previous uh, episodes of the podcast, we've talked about 
the having self-compassion and everything too. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a really effective technique for dealing with the anxiety and fear and the stress that work brings up. I, I just wanted to uh, go back to uh, something you said, Daniel, is I, if for people, you know, who are married, it is so, and particularly if you're both working, it's so important to be a shoulder for, you know, your, your mate to, you know, to just be able to dump on for a while. Well, I had, my, my wife came home yesterday and she, she, in the last two days, it just had horrible days. She, um, she just was, you know, at the point where she really wanted, she was just going to quit. I mean, she, she, and she's only three months from retirement. She's I can't make it three more months. I just, you know, and I really, you know, uh, didn't want to have to listen to all that, but it's like, yes, this is what we have to do. We've got, I've got to listen. And, and I know I used to do that too, or I'd come home. So it's, that's one thing that people who are, you know, either have really good friends or who are married, um, that can be a real help, but it only if you really, you're really willing to listen because otherwise if you actually, you know, aren't sympathetic, you can really add to, you know, your spouse's stress by the very fact that you're, you're not willing to really give them what they need, which is to not, not to tell them what they should think or that they shouldn't be feeling this way, but that um, to just let, to just listen and, and uh, hear what's going on and, and sympathize and be, you know, of, you don't want to, uh, so, that's one of those things you, I learned very on is it's trying to suggest the solution isn't the right, is very often not the right kind of thing to do in that situation. That just listening is what's really important and sympathizing. It took me more than half my life to, uh, to learn that it's not about, oh, you just need to do this, 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 problem mm -hmm. solved, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But you know, yeah, that's we, we men like to solve problems, and uh, that's a, that comes very natural is to to be able to solve a problem and, and get away from it. But that's not always the in relationships. That's not necessarily the the right approach to things. <laughs> but you know that that gets back to Lee's point about um, we can use that very same process on ourselves and have love for ourselves and treat ourselves right and think what would I say to myself if it was my best friend what advice would I give them if they were in this situation? And you take that advice for yourself. And, uh, you know, so it's like this, um, this also touches on something that the point that you brought up Lee about, uh, about things we need to do sometimes are not about uh, figuring out how to handle a situation, but, when it's the right time to get out of that situation. And that touches back on something you said, Thomas, about, uh, about your jobs and, you know, when you need to, when a job isn't worth it and that sort of thing. And what that makes me think about is the fact that, you know, all of these various traditions, whether it's Buddhism or Stoicism or these other kinds of philosophies and everything, they have kind of this ideal sage that they talk about as an example of, of how a wise person would think or act or evaluate things or, or what have you. And that's a, 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 it's a perfect ideal to serve as a model. But in reality, we're all students and we're all just trying to make our progress as best as we can. And we're, none of us are enlightened beings. And so we have the reality of the situation that we are only have made so much progress at any given time in our life. And there's always something left to be made. And so we have to deal with life as it is. And so, yeah, maybe if you were the perfect enlightened sage, you could handle any job and just be like a judo master and things would just roll off of you and you'd be fine. You go home at the end of the day and you know, you'd be perfectly fine. And, the more we progress we make, the closer we do get to that over, over time in our life. We, we, we handle things better and better and better. But the reality is that at any given time, you're in a situation and it, you may not be up to that task. And so then you have to deal with 
the reality and say, okay, well, I'm obviously not handling this. So let me, let me be kind to myself and protect myself by moving away from these conditions that are not healthy or that I can't handle, uh, or that are causing me more harm than, and I, I don't yet have the enlightenment I need to handle this. And so that's very important, of course. Um, but again, that all comes back to know thyself. Those old sages never had to work in the modern workplace. They could chop wood and carry water, but uh, <laughs> there's something about the modern workplace that I think would uh, would uh, mess up the minds of any any sage. And I that's something I you know because I I feel I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff. And I just had to finally realize, you know, that when I got home from work, even on a good day, I had a period of um, I just had to give myself time to to let all this stuff kind of bubble up and, and get out of my system because it's about, it's mostly about personalities. I mean, it's people, you know, people are the, the hell of jobs actually, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's not the work, but it's the, the, the people stuff that really, I think causes the, all those kinds of feelings that, that get left and that you just have to, you know, so I'd get, I just learned I needed to get home. Very often I'd take a walk and, you know, a, a three mile hike and I'd have it all sorted out and I could then relax and I could be perfectly calm. And actually that's a, it's kind of interesting because I think walking is one of the greatest therapeutic things in the world. And it's something that has, is just lost. People don't walk anymore. And, you know, it's, it's not only that it gives you the physical outlet, but it also gives you a mental, it's a, it's a nice pace for you to, you know, to be walking and, and, and thinking at the same time. Of course, for a lot of people, and I think, you know, probably for women in particular, there's a lot of fear associated with, with uh, being out in the world in certain situations. And so walking for some people is fear, mm -hmm. unfortunately creates fear. But if you, if you have a place, a nice, good place to walk, I think walking is one of the great ther therapeutic, uh, things we can get into. I'm uh, actually reading a book right now called The Nature Fix. And in it, the author uh, actually goes through a lot of scientific data and everything that um, shows that walking and especially walking in an area that has trees rather than walking like through a field or something like that really has physical and mental benefits to people, you know, and that they're starting to figure that out. And the Japanese have these, what they call um, forest retreats, which are basically places where the people just go to, you know, take walks. They put labyrinths and, and things there because they know how beneficial it is to walk out in nature like that. So all of that's very true. Yeah, what a wonderful practice. Um, so, you know, we mentioned a lot of these practices. I, I mentioned earlier, too, that I wanted to say some specific things about meditation. Um, that's kind of like a, a biggie we always mention, but I think there's a lot of things that people think about meditation uh, before they've started it or at the early stages they started it that, that may not be exactly what we mean. So I think what people think meditation is when they hear about reducing stress and things, they think it's like, well, let me sit here for a little while and I'll have quiet and I'll clear my mind and I'll just kind of rest and relax and just sort of, you know, take a break and, and then that'll relieve my stress. And then I go, okay, I had that and I had some stress relief during that time for doing that. And that can certainly be true, you know, that, that can work. But I don't think that's the powerful kind of stress relief when we talk about mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, there's other interesting ways that, that meditation, I think, uh, helps. And so I think one of the ways is that as we start to practice focusing our attention on one thing and allowing the rest of our mind to become quiet, it, it, does several things. First of all, all of our various little subconscious thoughts that are 
arising in our minds all the time, they're kind of like pebbles being thrown in the water. So if, if the ocean is uh, uh, very disturbed, like in a storm, you're not going to notice those ripples from those pebbles. But if you, if you calm the mind, it becomes like a still lake. And then those pebbles become noticeable. And that's when you start to be able to see the, the things arising in your mind uh, uh, more clearly. And so you start to become practiced at that so that when you're in a situation and things start to happen, you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off, you, you have an eyeball inside your mind that's now looking at your own thoughts that didn't happen before I started meditating. And so what happens then is when you're, it's the effect when you're not meditating, that, that your life is now changed because of your time practicing meditation. Um, so that's one example. Another example is um, that as you start to witness experience without judgments and labels, um, you start to see what direct experience it can be. You can, even when you're on a nature walk, for example, you can go into kind of a meditative state where you're not thinking, you're just experiencing. And that ability to do that, that you hone through a practice of meditation, starts to make you realize just how artificial the labels and wrappers and and uh, judgments and categorizations we put on things are. And those labels, those stories we tell ourselves are very often a source of our stress and anxiety. Anyway, I just wanted to touch on some of that. I know, I know a lot of us here, uh, including listeners, will already know some of that, but we have a wide audience and I wanted to just mention some of those things as a teaser uh, for those people interested in starting to get into meditation. Yeah, I think... I think meditation is, uh, is, is, extremely, is extremely helpful for all of these things. Um, but I do think that, like as I was talking about coming home from work and being stressed, is that to get to the point where I could get my mind quieted down, I had to work with my body, um, mm. you know, either through something like walking and sometimes walking and physical or physical exercise or a yoga or something. And the stress, because I always found work stress really was stress in the body. It was, it was in the mind too, but if I could get my body um, back to a, a, a certain level of, of relaxation and calmness, then I could, you know, really work with my mind. So I think um, then, then it was easy to meditate, but I found like to try from, to go from straight from work to meditation it was not something I, and I'm a pretty good, I'm pretty good at meditation. I spent a lot of time doing it, but I needed to work a process to get to the point where then I could, uh, you know, really could, although I've always meditated in the morning and that really helped a lot. It kept me, kept me calm for many hours going into work, uh, you know, gave me a really good base for going into work. But I found no matter what uh, full day's work, eight hours of work and, and no matter how, I would come home and my, you talk about that uh, pool of water. Well, my, my mind was a, uh, like a pool that had gravel being thrown into it. <laughs> <laughs> it took a while to, to get all those ripples to, to, to reach the shore. And, um, but it is a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to know that you can, you know, that there, you can work your way back to that kind of calmness that, um, you know, that's just a, it makes it all so much more, more bearable to know that if you, you know, that that's, that's possible that you're not stuck with a, a riled up mind or an angry mind or that you, you have the power within you to do something about it. And that's, um, and that's what I think, you know, that's a, if people who don't understand that, who haven't really tasted that, that's a, that's it's just something that's a, something that I hope they can learn because to know that you have the power, you know, it might take time. It is not like you dropping a pill or something and it's just going to happen. But if you've learned these things, you can get back to the point where you feel really, really strong, really centered, really good. And that's, um, that's what these practices can do for people. One other, um, 
technique or tool that I find useful too when, uh, when I've got a problem and I've got anxiety because I don't have a solution or so is journaling. And, you know, sometimes it's just like magic. You just, I can sit and write the same thing over. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this, you know. And then suddenly the solution just comes right to you as you're writing or so. So journaling mm-hmm. is good for those particular types of issues. I think, I think the journaling is that principle of helping to identify what's really going on. As you sit back and write, you start to understand, oh, this is, this is what's going on here. It gives you, you know, gives you a way of doing that. That's uh, probably in some ways, well, it's, it's, it's a, some people can do that without the journal, but I think journaling really helps you to, to slow down and, and seeing, seeing an idea on paper is kind of interesting because all of a sudden it's, an, it's now not a, something floating around in your mind. It's actually an object on the paper. And I find very often just putting an idea on paper has a real, a really interesting effect, much different from just carrying it in my head. Yeah, that is a great point. And, you know, uh, Lee, that, that I'm glad you brought up journaling because um, that's another great practice. And there's just like with meditation, there's a lot of different kinds of journaling, different ways to do it. Like uh, a free form kind of creative journaling can, uh, you know, help us see what's in our minds like we've described here. There's also like a, a stoic journaling where you're actually taking the lessons you've been reading about that intellectual stuff that doesn't seem to make any difference when you're having a certain feeling and you're going over it, you're reviewing your day. How did that compare to these, these virtues or wisdom teachings that I'm trying to compare? And as you do that, you start to condition yourself to think in those terms. And that's one of the ways that you break through that wall to where the intellectual can kind of come down and start shaping our personality and uh, so it's almost like a study or a self-review, you know, and that's a, that's a whole different kind of uh, journaling. And they're all good. They're different, good for different ways and different reasons. Just mm-hmm. like loving kindness meditation is different than uh, breathing meditation mindful, or walking meditation or what have you. Uh, but yeah, journaling is a, is a great thing. And I think what all of these things are pointing to, whether you're talking about walking or journaling or meditation or... Uh, any of these other kinds of practices that we mentioned, I think the first step, I'm thinking about like the beginner, right, on these kinds of things. And I think the first step is just getting out of that, that feeling of just going from thing to thing to thing to thing all day until it's time to go to sleep. And that's what a lot of us are in because, you know, our time is crunched. We have obligations to family and job and all these things. And we're traveling, we're doing these, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going back and forth to work. And, and so um, I think for a lot of people that don't have what you would call a, a regular practice, I would recommend just starting small and easy and just taking a simple moment each day. It can be in the morning. It can be in the, the evening when you want to wind down. It can be at lunch break, it can be whenever, but just setting a starting to affect your schedule. Think about if somebody were watching you throughout the day and they wrote down everything you did throughout that day. If you're going to have a practice that, that can begin to condition you to be wiser and calmer and happier and all that, there should be something on that schedule that's changed. There should be something you're doing that you didn't do before or not doing that you did do before, but carve out some time because time is your, your, is your currency. Start with just a little time. And even if it's just time to sit there and do nothing, just relax your brain, uh, that can begin to create a space in which you can start to build a practice. That, um, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you, it's so wonderful to, to, to you got to start somewhere and, and, uh, we can only tell people who've been doing this a long time can only just give testimony of the value of it over that, that, that it starts out. It's 
you can see for months like you're not making any progress, but if you keep at it, you really can um, get there. But a simple, a, a simple kind of um, practice that again, relating to times when I had a, you know, really stressful work and I'd, I'd have insomnia, I wouldn't be able to sleep. And one of the things I learned was to always get my mind, get, you know, get this stuff out of my mind before I tried to go to sleep. Otherwise I'd inevitably wake up at two in the morning and it would, I'd have to deal with it. So sitting down often with a piece of paper, writing stuff saying, you know, just recognizing what was going on, um, until, you know, it was clear. And I could say, okay, I, uh, you know, there's nothing really bothering me. You know, if there was some insult that I suffered during the day, I can, can look at it and say, okay, that, that bothered me, but it's done. Let's go on. If there's something, you know, I, I have to do, I can have it written down. I can have my little list, which <laughs> say, okay, I can forget about it. It's on my to-do list. Uh, I'll, I'll take care of it tomorrow. And that was the, by far, the most important thing I learned about, you know, getting a good, just being able to sleep through the night was to try to get to sleep with a, a fairly calm, and, 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 and if I could go on beyond that and actually do some meditation, that would even be, be better. But, for, you know, but if people can give themselves at least that much, um, you know, they'll have a, a little slowing down and, and, um, so that's just another another technique. But for it, insomnia is a little different topic, but it actually insomnia often has is related to fear and stress and such things. And, and I know a lot of people uh, do have that problem. And I think that that's just one one suggestion I'd give to anybody who is experiencing insomnia is, you know, take time before you go to sleep to to clean out your mind, figure out what what's going to wake you up, and and. Um, get it dealt with before you try to go to sleep. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. The, uh, um, the carving out of time and, uh, you know, also if, if you start to set aside that time and then you wonder, okay, what should I do? What can I try? And then how do I do it? You know, I, I looked at um, reading as a practice. So setting aside time to read, that'll bring you in fuel, you know, for your practice. That'll give you things to think about or things you might want to try. You'll start to learn more about how these works. You could read about meditation. You could read about uh, different techniques for uh, different ways people have relieved their own anxieties or dealt with fears. Um, what I used to do in, in the early days of my practice was I'd wake up in the morning, like really early before I really had to wake up so that I'd have enough time. And then I would, I would combine a kind of physical and mental thing. I would, I would, uh, I'd get dressed into my workout clothes and we had a park nearby. So, and we were living in an apartment at the time. So I'd go out, it's still dark. I'd uh, walk over to the park and I do like a kind of a brisk walking. And at one point I'd end up somewhere in the park, this particular place with the bench and I'd have my book with me and I'd, and I'd sit and then I would uh, do a meditation um, just a few minutes at the time. I don't think I could do very long, you know, cause I was new at it and I did a few minutes of meditation. And then once I did that, my mind was calmer and then I cracked open the book and I'd, I'd set a timer and I, read a little bit each day. And after I read for just a few minutes there, uh, I would close that up and I'd go back to my brisk walking again. And then I get home and do my shower and then go to work. And I had my, my walking, I had my meditation, I had my exercise and, and that really prepped me for my whole day. But I had that regular thing that I always did. And I did that for a long time. And that's how I built up a lot of practice with my, in the early days of my meditation. But that's just one example. You know, you can set yourself a little plan like that. And you can change it after you see what works for you and what doesn't and what you want to try. But having that reading element as part of your practice, thinking of it as a practice, uh, if you're very new at this stuff, that can really bring in a lot of fresh ideas. Yeah, that's a, I, I always value books that, um, that, and I, I never am trying to get them finished that, uh, 
that can serve me that way for uh, for a long period of time. And uh, I've got uh, I actually have a, a list that uh, I probably would someday we should have a list of maybe there's a place on our site where we could have a list of you know really good books for that kind of thing. I found one of the books that I've you know over years and years was um, uh, various versions of the Tao Te Ching that I would come back to and just as a morning meditation would. And particularly a, a version I have that um, that it has a, a great um, commentary on it. It's written by uh, Ellen Chen. Um, her translation and her commentary based on on early Chinese commentary. But I've read it. I've gone through that many many times. But in each time, though, you know, I'd, I'd come back with new. So that that was a, I found a particularly good book for that kind of of. Um, you know, sometimes it was very direct and sometimes it was learning, you know, it wasn't really applicable directly, but it was just learning, you know, about that tradition. And, um, uh, but yeah, I've quite a number of other books too. Yeah. The, uh, um, and then, uh, Lee, you mentioned the nature fix earlier. We occasionally are always mentioning different books here. I want to let people know too about if you go to our website, scroll down to the bottom, there's the SNS shop and we have an Amazon store and the things that we choose to put in that Amazon store are really our recommended reading list. So, uh, you can look through that and you don't have to necessarily get them there. That could be available in your library, but you could at least use that list as a recommended reading thing. We also have book reviews, um, I'd like to have a lot more reviews in there right now. We don't have that many, but uh, where, where is that list? Yeah. If you go to snsociety.org and then you scroll down to the bottom, there's SNS shop. You click oh. on that and then there's an Amazon shop link. So the SNS oh. Amazon store. And so people can see that. And then of course, uh, shameless plug here, but the society also publishes uh, exploring spiritual naturalism years one through three. And it's got uh a collection of our articles that we put out all kind of organized in a more uh, systematic way than you would get on a blog. Um, so that can have some really wonderful stuff in it for the beginner, especially. Um, but even, even not, cause I mean, none of us uh, are masters in all of the different traditions and it's pretty eclectic. Um, but we've talked about a lot of the different aspects that these uh, practices do that I think are central to uh, addressing anxiety, fear, and worry. They, we've talked, they help you understand yourself. They can help you to learn how to hand over things that are not within your control and not, uh, you know, Christians call it like handing over, handing things over to God, you know, but uh, we naturalists refer to it as just understanding what is in your control and what is not in your control and really internalizing that, you know. Um, another thing is it can teach us how to, you know, these contemplative practices can teach you how to live in the moment, you know, to, to be right here, right now, instead of always somewhere else in your mind, always distracted, how to hone your attention and place it where you want it, when you want it. Um, and then we already talked about meditation. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a wealth of stuff that we, we don't even have time to get to everything, but those are some of the biggies. And um, I think we're coming close to the end of our time. Lee, did you have anything you wanted to say closing us out of this? Well, just to bring it back full circle, we had talked about, you know, when you're young, you have certain anxieties when you, start, get married, have a family, uh, you know, other things. And then as you get older, you know, uh, your anxieties and fears morph into something else. But hopefully what we've done today is kind of give people an idea of the different tools that they can use because your fears and anxieties will change as you go through life. But the tools that you use, whatever you find that works for you, you should be able to use in you know subsequent years and as your life goes on and, and keep those same tools and use them yep great and thomas uh, did you have any closing words nope i think i've uh i've said what i need to say <laughs> okay uh and yeah that's the thing i would say closing is just uh as long as you're setting aside some time for continued learning and growth 
then it will happen. Uh, but, but you gotta like put your money where your mouth is, you know, you gotta, you gotta dedicate some time to it, to yourself. Uh, love yourself by spending time with yourself and, uh, and, and you'll see that these things, you, you'll grow over time like a tree. So, uh, thank you for listening everyone. And, um, uh, if you haven't heard our other episodes, there's plenty of other episodes where we address all kinds of different aspects of spiritual naturalism and, uh, Check us out at snsociety.org. There's a little link there for the podcast. And uh, each podcast has its own page with comments, and you can leave comments there. So uh, feel free to join us next time. And in the meantime, uh, if you're not a member of the society, please go to snsociety.org and uh, click the membership link. We'd love to have you as a member, as a part of our community. It means that you'll get the newsletter. Uh, which includes all the latest in spiritual naturalism, updates and uh, announcements, that kind of thing. Until next time, goodbye and take care. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and become a member at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemisrud. Please share our program and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today. Today.